There are lots of things a business needs to help it run efficiently. Document management, printing, IT support, digitization, data security and more. As a true managed service provider, Workflow Solutions can help with these and a wide range of other business needs. Saving time and money for businesses across the UK. Help your workflow with Workflow Solutions, the work from anywhere experts. Visit workflo-solutions.co.uk The Go Radio Business Show with Sir Tom Hunter. Go and find another entrepreneur and just share. And Lord Willie Hockey. My one bit of advice is if you're running your organisation, this is the time to inspire. The Go Radio Business Show with Workflow Solutions. Good morning, Tom. Morning, Willie. Well, you see, a week's a long time in politics. Oh my, oh my. So we said that on here first, the budget would not last and Liz Trust would not last, and she's gone. Willie, I am confused, dazed and confused. I'm dazed and confused most of the time, but my goodness, who is the PM? And what on earth is going on? Well, the minute she surrounded herself, uh, she had Jeremy Hunt in one side and Grand Chaps in the other. She was never going to survive. But that kind of indicated that the gene pool had become so shallow that she had to bring in two guys who would have supported your pal, Richie, oh, right, to, to get the top job. What we should all be saying is, let's go to the polls. I don't think there's any chance of the Tories at this time wanting to go to the polls. And if you see what happened in the law, during the week it is now actually descending into chaos when people are being manhandled to vote and you're changing your mind no by the hour suddenly you're being whipped to say it's not a vote of confidence against the leader and then you change your mind and it is a vote so the 30-odd whatever Conservative MPs who did not vote with the government in normal circumstances would all get the whip taken off them today so I, see, I wonder right? what that I wonder what that will do to the majority. But well, I did I did I see this that actually they were all oh you got to vote you got to vote that the prime minister actually missed the vote because she was busy sacking the home secretary. <laughs> they, they, is that right or no, is that a joke? They said that there's a bit of confusion. <laughs> One Tory MP says his card did not register. Now I've got a card as well and I've seen it. I've never seen mine not register. I so I think that was a wee porky maybe. Uh-huh. Right, but the the whole story about whether the PM voted or not I think is, is shrouded in mystery. But what a calamitous situation for the country. For the country. Yeah, so, I mean, as you sit and our listeners are sitting at home or listening to the podcast wherever they want, the podcast is very good, by the way, and you're trying to run your business, Willie, what what relevance has this all got? I know it's good to talk about it and you and I are interested in it, but for business folk listening this morning, what can they do or what parts of it do they need to really pay attention to? Well, we mentioned last week that people listening to the show for the last couple of weeks will think it's the politics show, not the business show. <laughs> but we want to make it clear, all the things that we've been talking about do have an effect on business. For instance, we were told, you know, when the mini-budget was launched, it was all about growth, growth, growth. And every cabinet minister who was sent out to do the rounds, the media rounds the following morning, it was all about growth. They batted everything off with growth. So can we accept it now that Jeremy Hunt has changed everything 
So now it's an anti-growth mini budget. What we know, where are we? And for us, that's the whole point about business. Yeah. So just to try and bring it back to business. So what survived that affects business? So I was pleased to see, and it's probably because it was too late to change it, Willie, but the National Insurance for Employees and Employers going back to where it was has survived. So do you agree with that? that that's a good thing? That is definitely a good thing right. for business. That's okay. one still positive from so, the shambles. Um, that was one good thing. We then move on to um, the energy help which is being provided. Now, initially, it was two years for consumers and six months for business. I think, and you'll correct me here, I think now it's six months for businesses and consumers and they'll look at it to be more targeted. Yes, they will look at it again in April next year. So you're right, it really is a six-month, um, right. you know, it's it's a six-month deal at the moment where they said that they will look at it. But there's no doubt that um, Jeremy Hunt, if he can get away with it, will not continue this after April. Now, I did see this week, um, just, and this does affect businesses, that the gas price actually went down quite substantially this week. I'm not kidding on, I understand the international gas market for sure, but... <sighs> I mean, what does what does that mean, Willie? Yeah, well, it's funny. In a week when the gas price actually did go down, the oil price went up. <laughs> so, you know, OPEC Plus decided, you know, they're, they're cozying up to some of the people that we're trying to distance ourselves from at the moment. You know, they're joining, you know, the BRIC countries and here's what we're doing, the emerging countries, where there doesn't seem to be any rules. Uh, you've seen that, you know, that the... Saudi prince this week talking to Russia was talking to China, you know Brazil, all all of these countries that seem there seem to be no rule of law at the moment, and and that is a worry. But certainly that they wanted to talk about the reduction of the amount of oil that the OPEC plus are producing, and that doesn't help. Obviously, when you add all of these up, it's it's having a catastrophic effect on inflation again. Now is above ten percent, and for the first time. The Bank of England are talking about it could go as high as 13%. Wow. Now, that really does affect business. But is there anything people listening to the show this morning can can do? Can they plan? Can they change habits? Can they... I mean, what, what on earth can they do knowing this information, Willie? This was the first sign that I seen the other morning that people are adapting. I went into buy my newspaper. I'm not joking about this. I went into <laughs> buy my newspaper at the wee shop in Burnside and the boy behind the counter served me had five layers of jackets on. Oh, right. Man. So definitely the heating was switched off in the shop. Well, we've got jumpers on this morning, Willie. We're, uh, we're, we're, we're definitely um, frugal in the Go Radio business show. <laughs> we mentioned the Bank of England I think it was ironic that the governor of the Bank of England this week was trying to put the blame on the government. I think the bank have got away scot-free here. We've mentioned about it for months and months and months. I think that Andrew Bailey especially was sleeping at the wheel when it came to inflation and how the interest rate hike should have started a long, long time ago. Maybe in smaller increments, but what we're going to find now, there is no doubt in my mind that the next hike, which will probably come before Christmas, will be at least 75 BPs. At least 75. It could so? be one. Yeah. 
yeah, it could be 100. And, I mean, have you any idea how long this will last? Because, you know, I I want to be op optimistic and say, yep, um, we've got to be realistic and say tough times ahead, but good business people adapt to the circumstances around about it and they see some opportunities. But we will get through it. How how long is, is the days of cheap money gone for the foreseeable future, Willie? I would think at least for the next five to seven years. Wow. Yeah, I, I think that interest rates will probably end up equaling out around about 5 or 6%, which will be, if you get back down there, that will be good. But I think that, that the liquidity that's in the system, Tom, will have dried up for a long time to come. And the sad thing about this is the war in Ukraine is getting most of the blame. A lot of this is still down to Brexit. Right, a lot of it. A lot of the food prices, a lot of the problems that people are having. So I think that a lot of things have been masked. You know, the pandemic masked a lot of things and the war in Ukraine is taking the blame at the moment. I mean, we, we talked about it last week. We only get 15% of our gas from Russia. We get 50% from Norway. Yeah. So for me, no one is telling us, and we're asked again, could someone just explain to us why some of the utility costs are up by 600%? There seems to be no reason for that. So I've been digging into Brexit this week because... We've talked about it in the show before. The scrutiny that would have come on Brexit has been masked. As you, as you say, the pandemic, first of all, and now the nonsense that's going on down in Westminster. And um, there was a really good piece in the FT this week, and they dug in to see the effects of Brexit. And they reckon and this is the Office for Budget Responsibility, so this is the the independent of government forecaster, if you like, and we're going to get the Halloween news. I hope it's not too scary, Willie, um, from them. But, but they reckon the Brexit effect in Britain has reduced our growth prospects by at least 4%. Yes. And the FT had gone and spoken to small businesses, SMEs, trying to grow their businesses out with Britain. And they were saying, look, I used to ship from Britain to Europe and it took two days. It now takes 20 days. Yeah. And businesses are now setting up distribution in Europe. So the jobs and all of the multiplier effect that that brings, paying their taxes, etc., goes to Poland or Holland. I mean, it's it's been a disaster for business Brexit. Well, it's interesting that you make that point. Also, it's interesting you mentioned the FT. Actually, the show got a mention in the FT this week, oh, so that we? they were mentioning what we had been talking about, that we'd been first to talk about the, a reversal I of the mini that. budget. Yes, there you go. So I need to start, start subscribing now for the Financial <laughs> Times. You kind of get it for free, uh, Willie. No, come on. No, but I think it's interesting that you make that point about Brexit and about the time it takes for things. In a week when we're talking about the paper for independence for Scotland, right? Especially now when we talk about a hard border. Has no one but no one looked at what's happened with the Northern Ireland Protocol, right? If that was not enough to put you off, I don't know what is. So, you know, in business terms, and although we're talking a lot of things here about the government and about policy, all of this has an effect in business. 
and this would have a huge effect on business. So, you know, for the people who are looking to expand in what the paper said this week, please, please look at the complete shambles of the export and import situation that we have in Northern Ireland. Yeah, I mean, I enjoyed being part of Europe. I thought it was good for business and I thought it was good to be part of something bigger. Mm. Of, of course, there was things that drove us mad, mm. but I think the country sleepwalked into Brexit. There was a couple of clever slogans and frankly, we didn't look underneath it. There was a bus saying £350 million a week coming back to the NHS. Eh, excuse me, can, can MD find that bus? No, people lied. I mean, it, yeah. it we're, was... We're, we're out of Europe because people lied and, and, and we no shame. And I would be open to an honest discussion as I was the last time about Scottish independence. And of course, when, when you see what's happening down south, you think, my goodness, would we be better on our own? But but let's have that frank discussion. Yeah. Because if you're a business in Scotland, you can do business with the rest of the UK without any barriers. If there was a barrier, I would really worry about that. And, and one of our listeners, David McCutcheon at Bullet Express, was on to me saying, do we understand what this means? And of course, as a hollier, he understands. And therefore, let's have an honest discussion about it, Willie. Let's be open, but but let's be honest. Yeah, that and you're you're spot on. And that discussion should take about one minute, <laughs> right? Seriously, why would you want to separate from your biggest trading partner? Now, I'm I'm like you. I was delighted to be part of Europe. Right, and, and and you're right. There was there was pros and cons about being part of Europe, but it was more pros. I think so. M yes. Many more pros than cons. So for, for us at the moment to want to separate from our biggest partner, I think we have to do a debate that that is fraught with danger. Absolutely fraught with danger. To talk about wanting to leave there, to join there, and there's no certainty that we could get joined in the EU. That's not to say that we can't. But the one thing that you're absolutely right about is let's have a, you know, a, a grown-up debate. So my my point of view in it is I'm open to the debate, but not now. Yeah. There is so much going on. We've got an economic crisis. We've got a health crisis, Willie. I mean, the NHS, you know, um, we, we need to solve that. And then education, it doesn't really get talked about anymore. Yeah. We Scottish education was the envy of the world. I'm afraid it's not anymore. So let's get it back there. Yeah. And I think people will say, oh, no, well, we've we, we got to have this debate now. Well, you know, I don't agree with that. I agree there should be a debate at some point, but not now. I totally agree with you, right? It is not the time. Tom. Yes. On any tax, there's always a smell. There's always a smell about a tax. <laughs> Okay. <laughs> what about the New Zealand government this week want to put a tax on farmers for the cattle farting? <laughs> I missed that, Willie. I must admit, I didn't see the fart tax. <laughs> You'll not believe it. Prince Charles has been talking about this for many years. King Charles, yeah. Willie. Sorry, King Come Charles. King Charles, right. I forgot about the elevation. Uh, yes, so this is a thing that they've said that if they could harness... Right, uh, what happens at the rear end of cattle, then it could probably drive a windmill that could drive a power station. 
Well, Willie, the Go Radio Business Show gets to new depths, I think, this morning. You heard it here first. <laughs> yes. That is one tact where people, certainly people, will be holding their noses. <laughs> now, a listener, and we do have one, asked me this week about holding cash at the bank, Willie. And because inflation is where it is, it's over 10% now, so if leaving a cash balance in your business is a good thing or a bad thing, my my thought on it is that during the last crisis, I didn't leave enough cash in my bank and I got into a lot of trouble. So this time round, we run big cash balances. It allows me to sleep at night. And I know it's getting eroded a bit with um, in inflation, but it, it lets me sleep. What do you think? Well, Tom, what you're saying here is is you used to keep your money under the bed. Now you keep your bed on top of your money. <laughs> I would certainly say that that is good advice. We've mentioned it in the previous weeks, but certainly at the moment, if you've got some cash, hold on to it because I think in the foreseeable future, you won't be able to get any from anywhere else. I think all banks, VCs, everybody now, there'll be a real slowdown, as we said, in the liquidity that's in the system. That's the biggest worry for me at the moment, right? In fact, I'd like to hear if any of the listeners is out there, if anyone is talking to a bank at the moment for anything and they've said yes, please let us know. So the difference between 2008 and now is that the bank's balance sheets are a lot healthier. They are what's called their capital adequacy ratios. So I don't think there's going to be a liquidity crisis. I certainly hope not. But banks are doing what you and I are talking about. They're hanging on to it. So I'd like to hear from listeners who are talking to banks as well. So let's get let's get them phoning in, Willie. Let's see if we can say, is your bank there for you when you need them? It's funny that you mentioned that, Tom. I believe that one of the members of the Bank of Ireland Committee actually hinted this week that we should maybe lower that threshold for the amount of cash that banks have to hold. I think that would be a disaster. Right, okay. But if if you've run a good business and things are tighter, surely that's when you need the bank to step up and be with you. Yes, but I don't think that we should change the sealant for the deposits that banks have to hold. There is a potential then of going back to the crash of 2007, 2008. Right. I think that the banks should be clever enough to find ways of getting liquidity into the market without dropping that sealant. Good point. Now, we're always trying to help our listeners here if you're a business owner, an entrepreneur out there striving and doing your best. So we were talking about tips We've had be on top of your cash flow. You said last week, this is the time to, as a leader, inspire your team. I think this week, thinking about it, um, is to actually share with your team, maybe not all the worries, but bring them in to say, we're in this together, we're going to get through it. And I think a team would react quite well to that. Um, it's something... I probably didn't do the last time because, as I said, I was a bit ashamed and I was worried about it. But on reflection, saying to your team, right, we're in this together. Here's the cash flow. Have you guys got any ideas to help the business through it? Have you got any other thoughts this week, Willie? Yes, I think that's a good idea. But also, I think we mentioned that I think 
talking to other entrepreneurs. Absolutely. Right, share your problems, listen to theirs, right, and, and, and let them listen to yours. And I think when you find that you're not the only one that's in this position, it'll take a lot of the weight off your shoulders. This this is, you know, this is a, a global you know, phenomenon that's happening at the moment. And it's obviously, we're seeing how it's affecting us here. But I think if entrepreneurs talk to entrepreneurs, it might take a wee bit of the weight off. And I must say, I know Sean at Entrepreneurial Scotland and Evelyn at Scottish Edge and Ken at Scale Up Scotland. It's, Scotland is an amazing place where if you need a wee bit of help and you ask somebody, nine times out of 10, it's yes. How can I help? Yeah. And we mentioned, again, that we were going to talk to some of the leaders of some of the organisations last week, and I think that we should definitely move on in that and see how we can get ideas back to us that we can get out to the people that would help. And I think we agreed that we would host it at Blair and you would pay. Anyway, I think we said half. <laughs> Coming next, Hunter and Hockey chat to John Watson, OBE, former chairman and chief executive of John Watson & Co. Label Printers. The Go Radio Business Show with Workflow Solutions. Helping you with a wide range of business needs. Go Radio. There are lots of things a business needs to help it run efficiently. Document management, printing, IT support, digitization, data security and more. As a true managed service provider, Workflow Solutions can help with these and a wide range of other business needs. Saving time and money for businesses across the UK. Help your workflow with Workflow Solutions, the work-from-anywhere experts. Visit workflo-solutions.co.uk The Go Radio Business Show with Hunter and Hockey. This week's special guest is John Watson, OBE, former chairman and chief executive of John Watson & Co. Label Printers. John previously was named as Scotland's Entrepreneur of the Year and received a prestigious Lifetime Achievement Award from Glasgow Chamber of Commerce. John Watson, OBE, it's a big welcome. Thank you very much, Willie. Delighted to be here. John, Thank you, Tom. great to see you. I haven't saw you for... Too long, yep. so it's brilliant you made the time to come on the show this morning. Well, just delighted. Once I found the studio, I'm, I'm here and I'm ready to go. <laughs> Thank you. At least you weren't let Boyd. No. Police escort. Police no, escort no. for Boyd to turn up. <laughs> now, we do have to say to the listeners, it is a wee bit awkward to find. Yes. Right? But uh, once you're here, we're that welcome. But, it was all worth it. it well, I know Boyd, you'd have a few caramel wafers to hand out. I've got nothing. <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> delighted to be here. There's actually two PCs up in a bribery charge for taking a box of caramel logs off him. <laughs> and he wasn't driving his Rolls Royce that day. He was in a Tunnock smart car. Oh, dear. <laughs> With a Tunnock biscuit hanging out the back. John, say great to have you here. For the listeners, tell us a wee bit about yourself and the story of your business. Well, it's a story, Willie, that goes back a long time. I mean, I joined my father in a small jobbing business, printing business, uh, in, dare I say, at Black Street in Townhead with about a dozen employees. And at that time, we did just letterheads, compliments, slips, business cards, this sort of thing. But we also did overprinting of Scotch whiskey labels. And our big customer was... Scotland's largest company at the time, Distillers Company. Right. And uh, I operated out of the uh, James Buchanan building at Steps, and they kept us going on a daily basis almost with overprinting labels. Yeah. Now, I'm talking about times before we were in the European Union. So it's before 1971, wow. and a lot of these countries like France, Spain, Italy, had to have their own overprint on the labels. So the labels were supplied to us by large label printers from the south, and uh, we got to do the overprinting. 
And we carried on doing this for 10, 20 years, and um, people said, you're better than this. You could actually print the labels because we're constantly getting let down by suppliers and they just don't react in time. Uh, the whiskey industry is up and down and round about. Uh, we need someone who's going to react. So if we say to them, it's two weeks delivery, you can deliver that. It's not four weeks on Tuesday. So uh, we then started to invest quite heavily in technology. We're what they know as, as a Heidelberg house, uh, which is, if you can imagine, Mercedes-Benz and BMW put together. That is what it is in the printing industry. Heidelberg is the largest manufacturer in the world. And they have different stages you can go through there and you can buy the next level of kit uh, if your bank let you. And uh, you carry on printing from there. So my story is one that takes 50 years to tell. It's a, it's, there's not sort of some light bulb moment where we suddenly achieved great success. It's just been a long, hard grind. But I built up a phenomenal team, and I can't thank that team enough. I think it's something I'd I like to stress. Uh, you, you're only as good as the team that are under, beneath you. And uh, it was absolutely fantastic. We, we brought forward our own design studio, so we wanted to do the, the one-stop shop. So rather than have people, these large whiskey companies, going down to London to have the, the labels of the print design down there, we said, no, we'll do the whole thing. We'll do the whole thing right from the design, hold your hand, take you right through it, put it up in a, a supermarket shelf, see what it looks like, and uh, then we'll print it. So, so John, um, I've I was up to your premises. I think I maybe cut a ribbon. You did indeed of a new Heidelberg press. You did, you did wow. that, Tom. That was that was something else, Willie. Really. Yeah. Um, but what really struck me was the way that I hope I'm not being too unfair, but printing was quite a staid business. It was. But you looked at it and said, "Right, where can I take this? What's my point of difference? How can I grow this and make?" Mm my customers, give them something they're not getting anywhere else. And the other thing that really impressed me about your business was family and team. Just just tell the listeners this morning a wee bit about getting that team together, how you found them, having a, being a family business as well, because a lot of people listening this morning are in family businesses. Well, we certainly were a family business and uh, we had family in the business, And uh, but we went out and found out guys that were guys and girls that were great technical people, uh, very clever at what they did. They were starting to embrace Apple Macs, the new technology, uh, because obviously when I started, it was uh, letterpress was the process. This moved on to uh, offset, litho. And at the end of the day, that press you're talking about, Tom, that you very kindly cut the ribbon on, that was a £2.1 million press that wow. was, as you know, what was it, 100 yards long? Aye. Uh, Walkie-talkies at either end, <laughs> uh, nine units on it. And this was to be doing something they said that could never be done and that was a challenge I liked I know you gentlemen like that as well they said, somebody said no they pull themselves up to their full height and say no I don't think you can do this and as you witnessed that day we printed the first Shivers Regal labels in Scotland wow. uh, nine colours in immaculate register on a very slippery paper uh, um, a foiled paper uh, and they thought that was just wonderful now they didn't give me any indication they were going to back us all the way, but they were delighted when they did. Uh, we approached Heidelberg in Germany. We spent a lot of time out there, and we designed between them and ourselves the, the longest, most advanced printing press in the world. Wow. And that printing press did not go to New York or Geneva or Australia. 
it went to Glasgow Townhead. Amazing. And, uh, and we had this, and 2.1 million. Big, big hesitancy with the banks, of course. You're spending that sort of money. The banks traditionally don't like the printing industry because the printing industry is going through tough times, always has done. Uh, they say there's been more change in the last 50 years than the preceding 500 My since name. Gutenberg invented printing from movable type in 1472. <laughs> so when you, you were there, there, John, you weren't there. I wasn't there, no, no. <laughs> but the process that we started with when I was starting with my dad yeah. was the same as Gutenberg had. Yeah. It was, and it, as it was in the newspapers then, it was individual letters, cast in lead and tin and what have you. Uh, so it changed very rapidly. And it was a question of keeping up to date with this technology. Tell the listeners, John, the size of the business, you became the boss very young. So, so yes, tell I the, did. Uh, that's how you grew. What size of the business when, when you yeah, started well, and when you left? My dad started started taking me into the business when I was about 12 years of age. <laughs> and uh, I would unload the horse and cart that came to the door. <laughs> uh, we, we'd de deliver the paper that we did. A couple of reams would keep us going for most of the week. Uh, and then I thought, this is quite good. Uh, I think I quite like be doing this. I met guys that were really, it's almost like probably working the shipyards to other people. You're met real people in there and uh, we started to grow the business and my father had quite a, uh, an outstanding actually war career and he was in the desert, desert rat in the in the 8th Army. So he was wanting to kind of move it on and I could see that. So when I got to about 28, 30, he said, no, you take it over now and uh, take, let's get involved in this new technology, which he didn't particularly understand uh, because at this time, people were asking for this new technology. Uh, you're very limited if you just stick to letterpress, but Offset Lytho was just terrific. And um, we trained up our own people. I would never found it hard to get good people along. I think when you get someone in your, a room, that you, someone can tap your door and say, look, tell me, tell me what's, where's my career going here? You do like the normal teacher would do and say, well, I don't know, where would you like it to go? And people say, well, I don't want to be driving a transit van for the rest of my life, which I'm doing just now. Uh, I said, so what are you talking about? You, I'd like to get involved in this printing malarkey. And so you like an apprenticeship. Oh, apprenticeship would be great. Uh, can I bring my dad down and my mum down? Because at that time you had to have your I'm mother sure. or father to sign an apprenticeship indenture yes. <laughs> uh, to just make sure you they, they, they were uh, guaranteed your workmanship and all the rest of it. So I started off like that. And from then on, they never... They, they, they always thanked me for saying, giving them the start, because that's what it takes. And they, they grew up and uh, grew up with the business. And so many people were with the business 20, 30, 40 years wow. without a break. We had virtually zero absenteeism. Really? Which wow. you look at it nowadays is people would pull themselves in there, not, not fit for business, but no, I had to come in. I remember there was one time there was about four foot of snowdrifts all along from Bayliston. This boy walked in from Bayliston just to <laughs> do his shift. He walked in. He uh, couldn't get the car going. So, you know, you get that sort of thing. But what you do, you've got to do, and I'd say this to any of your listeners, get round your people a lot. I used to spend every morning 20, 30 minutes just going around speaking to people. How's your wee boy? I thought he wasn't well. Oh, he's all right now, and that's fine. And did your husband get a job? Yes, he got a job. And... Uh, see if I can if I can help in any way. Let me yeah. know. People appreciate that. So see when you started, John, how many people worked in the business? A and dozen. How many when you sold it? We, we had a dozen and uh, finished up about 150. Wow. Wow. Uh, That's but amazing, I mean, John. The printing is not going to grow exponentially. You're no. not going to get a Bill Gates type organisation. You're not going to grow it hugely. Because what the banks liked about ourselves um, was we, we ran the business a bit like your granny would run the housekeeping. If you can't <laughs> afford it, you don't buy it. Right. So we buy all, we, we pay for this piece of equipment and then we go again. 
go out to Heidelberg, out to Germany, to design the next one, which was really to suit the, the Scotch whisky industry. We were essentially label printers to the drinks industry, the Scotch whisky industry mainly, also the Irish whisky EY industry. And uh, but and people were saying to me, you're not putting all your eggs in the one basket. And I spoke to yourself, Willie, at the time, yeah. knowing how big you were in refrigeration with certain of your customers. And uh, you said, if you're delivering to these people on time, at the price, at the right price, they'll knock your door down. And at that time, you're right, John, I had one customer who represented 95% of yes. my business. Yes. Wow. Yeah. That's amazing. Well, so, 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 John, just for the, the listeners this morning, you've obviously built a great business and you and you loved it. You can feel the enthusiasm. Tremendous passion, Tom. Um, but then you decided to sell it and not everything went right. No. Now, I think that's important yes. lessons. I, th I think if you're trying to sell your business or you want to sell your business, you really got to get really professional help here. And basically, like a lot of things, I kind of learned the hard way here. And um, I got a tap in the shoulder in 2000 early 2000s from a guy at when he was in Dusseldorf. Dusseldorf was the big printing exhibition and there's something like 40 halls there. It's all for the, the printing industry. And this guy was an Austrian and he said, John, I need to speak about your business. You've got a fantastic business in Scotland and we're not in Scotland. Well, I didn't know where he was. So uh, <laughs> because the this Drupal exhibition is so large, you, you actually stay on um, barges in the Rhine. So I went back to this Rhine and said, have you got one of these internet connections and I could find out who this guy is? And right enough, he was the chief executive of CCL, a three billion Canadian company. And uh, I thought, wow, this guy's for real. So uh, he followed it up and he came and saw us and uh, he then started to move things forward. He had two guys from um, Munich flew in, uh, what I'd call bean counters, <laughs> uh, probably to give them the correct title, accountants. <laughs> and uh, I said, how are you guys going to be here? Well, as long as it takes. So that was the first mistake I made. Never get guys like that into your own business. Do it at arm's length. Because people, my people were saying, who is this person? And I would say, oh, it's health and safety or it's, <laughs> it's first aid or it's something like this. And they, clearly it wasn't. Yeah. So we followed that through for 14 months. And uh, we had meetings here, meetings here. I, I've never, I've only been in Manchester three times and I've never got past the airport. That was to see this guy. Right. And he spoke magnificent English. And uh, he said, uh, no, John, we've got things right here. We've got the money arranged. We've spoken to the union. Uh, we've spoken to the two-pay regulations have all sorted out and your customers are quite relaxed about it. I think we're good to go. And, of course, we wanted a bit more skin yes. in the game yes. than he was prepared to offer. So uh, <clears throat> we said at the end of the day, look, I think we've maybe wasted 14 months of our time here. And, of course, I've got a huge debt of a quarter of a million for all these experts you have to employ yes. uh, to tell you that you're going down the wrong channel. <laughs> so, and he was very, he took it very well. He said, look, I'd rather you spread that now if you want to carry on being on your own because it's like I don't want to get to the stage where we have to divorce each other. I'd rather you spread now before the marriage. So then fast forward uh, things to about a year later and the chief executive of multi-color, C-O-L-O-R, corporation in Cincinnati in America, in Ohio, he was at the Ben Dinner in Glasgow at the Thistle Hotel and uh, it's the biggest dinner the drinks industry have. It's 1,100, 1,200, you know it well, yes. So uh, he said, I'm really sorry your deal didn't go ahead with the Canadians. I would like to have another look at it. Oh, I said, honestly, I don't think I could have another look at it. It was quite painful. <laughs> it cost me a lot of money. We kind of went nowhere, decided to do nothing. We all had um, 
a lot of wounds to lick. And uh, he said, no, I want to do it differently. I said, well, how differently is different? He said, I'll do it in three weeks. Wow. I said, you're going to do it in three weeks? He says, yes. He says, you know the Blythe Street Hotel in Glasgow? I said, yes, I do. I'll fly in three people there. And for three days, and they'll work 24 hours a day, if you, could, if you and your two other directors can make yourself available 24 hours a day. I said, so that's it. He says, that's it. And we'll use your auditor's boardroom in Bath Street uh, because we, I said, you mustn't come near the company because the way I did it the last time, bad news. So we did that and uh, they said, this is phenomenal. What a business. It is. We, we've never been in Scotland. We are in France. We're in, well, they had 25 plants around the world. Wow. Five in the States, four in Australia, two in South Africa, New Zealand, South America, what have you. A $3 billion company on the NASDAQ. So they're sizable. So I've got all these advisors saying, oh, this is fantastic. This is it. And it was it because uh, <laughs> we got to a stage that we agreed the money, which was, Huge. I mean, it's a fairy tale what happened to me. Uh, it, it was just so much bigger than the first one. Uh, and this guy, Nigel Vinicom, was as good as his word. He did it in three to four weeks. Uh, and he said, we met in an Italian restaurant on the south side of Glasgow with a private room. And he said, John, you're not looking too happy. I said, well, I suppose my two boys are involved in the business. And correctly, it is a fifth generation business. It was started in 1842 by my great-great-grandfather, albeit it wasn't really going anywhere until we started becoming specialists in the label business. I mean, at this time, we're printing 25 million labels a week. Wow, a week? Uh, now, not only did we do that, we did the tube wraps. You know how when you're walking yes, through the, the duty-free, yes. you get the tube wraps? Well, we did those as wraps, and that goes to Smurfits to be wrapped onto, yeah. uh, onto the tubes of the boxes. So we were right into this in a big way, and we could see they were really desperate to buy the business. But he said to me, I think this is a, a stalling point here. You, you've got a situation where you've got two boys that I want. Yeah, tell you what I'll do. I'll offer them a six months' recommendment to a plant of their choice throughout the world. Whatever plant they want to go to for six months, they'll come with my, my good wishes. I said, well, look, I'm a, I'm a Glasgow-born guy. I'm born and bred in Glasgow. I don't really know the world greatly. <laughs> he said, well, if you get relatives in Australia or South Africa or New Zealand, because you could go there... I said, no, um, I don't. I said, tell me, I bounced it back his way. I said, well, if they're your sons, where would you want them to go? And uh, he said, well, we have this supreme plant. This is our, our premium plant, is doing exactly what you do for the Scotch whisky industry. They do it for the Napa Valley, for the wines that come out of the Napa Valley. It's just north of San Francisco. Um, they might not come back because it's the Beach Boys lifestyle. <laughs> they'll print in the morning. They're, they're both very keen golfers. They'll, they'll play golf in the afternoon. Better than Townhead, uh, John. Better than Townhead. There's not a lot of surfing in Townhead. <laughs> uh, and um, how, how would that do? And, and, and that comes with our good wishes. And uh, so I said, well, that is awesome. And it was awesome. The two boys, Angus and Sandy, went to California. They had six of the best months of their life. I think if Mr. Obama had probably given them another six months, they would, have they would definitely have taken it. I bet yeah. his hand off. Uh, but um, uh, it was a huge success story and everything else was in place. John, I think one of that, obviously we're always looking for nuggets and we're always looking to give a bit of advice and I think the best bit of advice we got out of that story, that fantastic story is, is that if you do get into a conversation with anyone who's wanting to buy your business, only let them near your customers oh, when you've done the deal. Yes. <laughs> right, do not let them near your customers until you've got the check. It's such a basic 
Willie, because you know you say, well, how much the business you do with, and you're you're almost down to colour your underpants. Yeah. You know, it's, it's just, <laughs> it gets a nonsense. Yes. And these guys, they want to drill down to, to everything. Um, so uh, made a mistake first time round, but the second time round, I was ready Good. for it all. But you learn from your mistakes. I learned, well, I learned from mistakes because that is one thing I'd like to say to. There's a lot of people out there running their own business. I found it quite a lonely business running your own business. I just wish. This is a 50-year career I was involved in. You, you could, I'd love to be able to phone someone in the Leeds office or the Manchester office and say, look, I'm, I'm in uh, trouble here. What do I do? Or I've run out of money. Or can you help me here? You're on your own. Now, yeah. John, talking about that, you were there at the beginning of the Entrepreneurial Exchange. Yes, indeed. And I'm really impressed with the way you want to give back to entrepreneurs coming through in Scotland. Yes. And I know you do a lot of that. So just, just tell us a wee bit about that. Well, when the whole thing settled and uh, that was me, 65, and I thought, time, time to go time, and everyone was happy. There was one thing I put a wee point in here. Um, I said, now look, I don't want to drive right out into the sunset and there's people being made redundant behind me. So I'd like to put in a clause here or a caveat or a codicil, or whatever you call it, uh, into the deal that there'd be no redundancies for five years. Wow. Oh, you can't do that. We, we, and. I won't mention the corporate lawyers I used, but they were huge. They said, we've never done that before. You do the deal and you do the deal, you shake hands and you move off. And after that, John, it becomes no longer your train set. I said, I can understand that, but I could not accept the check and knowing that something's happened to my employees because wow. these are real team members. These are people that have built my business, built me the business. Uh, these are the smart guys that are smarter than me, IT-wise, Apple Mac-wise, that could operate to these high standards. So uh, that was the final one, and uh, no, we'll agree to that. We will be no redundancies of so five years. That, they have now done more than their word. They have now set up the business down in a uh, Clyde Bank on the old Singer site, yes. and they're the largest employers in Clyde Bank. Wow, two two hundred seventy five employees done doing it very well. They they take they do other work there like wine labels and beer labels that I didn't I couldn't buy the paper cheap enough yeah. to get involved in that. So fantastic. I stuck I stuck to the the drinks in the whiskey industry. So tell us about the things that you've tried to do now to help budding entrepreneurs and also some yes. of the charity work. Yes, well, the budding entrepreneurs, I felt there's so many people needing assistance here. So I gave a sizable six-figure check to uh, the Chamber of Commerce and I said, look, I don't want this back. I just want to say to you, you'll have people that are maybe you're speaking to that are just a bit short in their money and getting raising their money with the bank. The bank aren't happy. You're maybe... 50 grand, 100 grand short than where you should be. Uh, that's really, now I don't, wanna, I don't want to be involved in this. You've got enough lawyers, accountants, people here, you'll know where that money should go. So I did that. Uh, I also look, I don't know, you do tell me, I look after about five small businesses that uh, budding entrepreneurs. Yep. Um, I found that a kind of difficult one because at the end of the day, they're running the business. You're just giving them advice. Uh, but I don't want another business. I wouldn't not like in this time in you know 2022 to be running a business when I hear the problems that you guys are telling us about every week. Um, I mean, all I had to worry about, well, I think I had to worry about was running out of money and running out of customers. Yeah. And as long as I didn't run out of that, that was fine. And keep answering the phone yeah. and uh, <laughs> and do that. One. So the, we set the Watson Foundation up. It's done a lot of charity work for some of the big charities, Marie Curie, Outward Bounds, um, and, and we also help a, a lot of people that just uh, apply and we, we, we like to see other people help out. Brilliant. 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 And 
obviously you didn't want to just go to seed when you retired. You know, you wanted to help people. <laughs> yes. Give some money. Of all the things that you're doing at the moment, what, what you know, help. What, what do you enjoy the most? I think Don't I, say supporting your beloved Rangers. Do you <laughs> <say>? <laughs> I could tell you. A brief, I don't know if I'm allowed to tell this brief story about uh, the beloved Rangers because when Tom came to cut the ribbon for this £2.1 million press, I mean, the largest press in the world, uh, printing these Chivas Rago labels, never been done it before. Um, I said, uh, I thought, can I phone Tom? I, yeah, I'm going to try and see how I go on here. <laughs> so I phoned Tom. He said, delighted, John. I'll come up. Next time I'm in Glasgow, such and such. So he came up and I says, now you've got a lot to follow up here because we do this every time we have a new press comes in. We had um, Andy Irvin, who was captain of the oh, captain of the British Lions, one of the presses. Yes. And the last one, Tom, uh, was... Um, um, Rangers captain Lorenzo Amoruso. <laughs> so I'm probably just as well at ask Tom and not yourself, <laughs> Willie. <laughs> Definitely. I think if you'd have got Amoruso, you might have got Susan coming because... He didn't want to leave and the, the ladies in the, in the company didn't want to leave either. But... Um, had no, them barricaded in the canteen. Exactly. <laughs> so he came up in his Ferrari and uh, that was fine. But no, we, we, we'd like to make a big statement because we're making a statement to our customers. Look, you think we can only go so far, we can go the whole journey here. Yeah. You cannot... This machine had all the bells and whistles on it. Yeah. You couldn't say to us, well... I want this foiled gold or I want this whatever effect. We'll get that effect. Yeah. Uh, or, or we know. We had a very dangerous uh, sort of um, policy that we used to say, um, the answer's yes now, so what's the question? <laughs> the, amount of, the amount of times I left people and... I don't know what I'm talking about here. I've said to that guy, we can deliver a million of those for next week. Yeah. And I didn't know how it was to happen. We always made it happen. And there was lots of pain there, but uh, that's what makes your business. Absolutely. Is, is the boys still in the business? The boys aren't. They've, they've got enough uh, behind them that are into property development. They're quite happy doing that. It's, it's obviously a different beast now. It's a corporate animal. Yes. And it's huge. So there's lots of reporting has to be done. And then it goes to head of the UK uh, and it goes to the head of Europe and then it goes to uh, America or whatever. But, I mean, this firm, multi-tower corporation, I can't think, talk highly enough of them, uh, they have now got something like 60 plants, what they call centres of excellence worldwide. And incidentally, that was one, and I said, well, when I said to them where they want to go, they said, well, the only one place I would keep away from is probably Mexico, not the place you want to be. We, we have a printer there that does tequila labels. Right. Uh, <laughs> now, that's all they do. Yeah. Uh, but we want to come to Scotland, and we, want to, and we want to come to Scotland tomorrow. We don't have the time that you've got, like 40, 50 years, to develop this business and have a lot of pain, a lot of pain to make it. Uh, because there was a lot of pain. I mean, um, I, I, I always paraphrase one of your phrases, Tom. If you're going to fail, fail fast. And there was a situation that and was fail cheap. I feel cheap. Yeah, feel yeah. cheap. Whereas <laughs> one we took on and talk about that. Oh, um, we thought away from whiskey labels altogether. We won the contract for chip scoops for Glasgow schools. Right, and that's millions. <laughs> they, eat, drink a, they eat a lot of chips, so you know, you know things you get at McDonald's. Uh, you put your chips in. Now, it, the, the way you print these and the way you fold them, it's not rocket science. It, to the level of printing we were doing, very simple. So we did this for all the school, Glasgow schools, and there are millions of them. And with this long machine that creased them, glued them, cut them, da 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 da, and not for a lot of money, but we we got we won the contract. And then, it, then somebody said, do you know the head of McDonald's procurement works out at Union Street in Glasgow? <laughs> he works above, works above the store. 
I said, no, you're kidding. Yeah, he, in fact, I think he looks after the whole of Europe for procurement. So we went down to see him, and we said, look, we, we do these chip scoops. There you are. These are the ones we do for the, the schools. And, uh, oh, fantastic. I'd love to have a Scottish supplier because, obviously, I, need, I go to the Far East to, to get this done now. And uh, oh, this is fantastic. So we're just about ready to buy another machine, buy another factory, and um, we gave him a price. And I think we gave him a price about £4 a thousand, which is nothing. He said, no, after all, he said, look, guys, well done in doing the exercise, but I can get them for £2 in China, oh. £2 a thousand. So I think, we've bought the machine, we've bought <laughs> the material, we've got the guys that know about it. Stop the world, I want to get off. John, so that's an exclusive. So really, you're the guy behind the obesity problem for Correct. the school kids in Scotland. <laughs> so, you'll have had your uh, chips. We, we, yeah, we, they, used to, they used to put on it, fuel zone. To, that's all we printed around, fuel zone. Fuel zone in the schools. John, what an amazing story. It's an absolute delight having you on this morning. And we kind of think, and for what you've done, you know, that uh, you've left your mark in, in, in the business world in Glasgow and what you've continued to do through your efforts, through charity and helping budding entrepreneurs Scotland owes you a big debt of gratitude. Thank you so much. Well, thank you, Willie. Thank you, Tom. Lovely to see you. And what a great story and an inspiration, I would say, to our listeners this morning. So keep doing what you're doing. Thank you indeed, gentlemen. Thank you. Brilliant. Coming next on Hunter and Hockey, the board you can't afford. The Go Radio Business Show with Workflow Solutions, providing secure archive storage to your business. Go there are lots of things a business needs to help it run efficiently. Document management, printing, IT support, digitization, data security and more. As a true managed service provider, Workflow Solutions can help with these and a wide range of other business needs. Saving time and money for businesses across the UK. Help your workflow with Workflow Solutions, the work from anywhere experts. Visit workflo-solutions.co.uk. The board you can't afford. This is the Go Radio Business Show with Hunter and Hockey. Tom, this week we don't have a caller, but we have an email question right. from Dave Stewart, who's the managing director of the Fresh Air Leadership Company. And you'll not believe it, this question is very timely, right? So Dave is asking, he believes that the procurement rules, especially for government, they're, they're built to work against SMEs to try to get any work from the government. Good and question, Mark. He's right. He's absolutely right. The reason why I say that this question is timely, I'm actually working on this at the moment with the UK government. Right. Okay? And I'm trying to prove to them that the model that they have for procurement is not built, you know, to get them the best deal that they can get, the best bang for their buck. Uh -huh. Right? And I think at a time when the government is looking for to save every penny it can, this is certainly one area where I believe the government could save Billions, well, absolute billions. I mean, and it's all about the buying, Willie. Yes. When I had my sports business, it was all about the buying. Yes. And um, maybe once you've sorted Westminster, then go on to Holyrood, please. Right. Well, I done a talk uh, at Oxford University a few weeks ago, name dropping, and there was 160 <laughs> people in the audience. Some uh, were from the civil service, and other people from local government. And I actually said to the people in the audience, who are a huge part of procurement, that they're going to work every day. All these clever people with one hand tied behind their back because of the rules. And everybody in the audience agreed. So right. if we listen to the people who are part of the procurement process, I believe that we can come up with a much, much fairer way that would allow SMEs to get a crack at the business that the government's got to offer. 
My money's in you, Willie. Okay. Thanks for that question, Dave, and hopefully that was helpful. Listen to Hunter and Hockey anywhere, anytime, wherever you get your podcasts. The Go Radio Business Show with Workflow Solutions. Helping your business with document management, print, and IT solutions. Go Radio.